So thank you. As we get started this morning, my first question is if anybody on our listening team, Other Voices, had anything that you were sensing God was bringing to us before we wrap up today. We've had an awful lot of good sharing. Okay, thank you so much for those of you who leaned in over the weekend and were bold and courageous to share um, the words that God was laying on your heart. That's been a huge gift, I know, to the women, but also to me. I, um, I have a prayer team still, the ones who prayed me through my cooking crisis. And I emailed them yesterday and said, it has been so fun, almost giddy fun for me to be um, able to partner with those of you who were bold and came up and shared a word from God. So thank you for blessing us that way this weekend. And later this morning, we're going to have a time for you to do some sharing if you would like. And it's going to be, um, we're going to invite you to be brief, um, but we're going to invite you to share um, how God has been meeting you here this weekend if, if you want to. And so there'll be an open mic and that's going to be a little later this morning. I wanted to give you a heads up on that. Um, the other thing I'd love for you to know is throughout the year, there are occasions when we as women ministry would love to have a story. We would love to have, and, and you all have stories, I know that. I just don't have them in my file in my office. And so you guys tell me your stories, and then they say, hey, Jennifer, I need you to write the back of the bulletin, and can you tell a story about something that happened at women's retreat? And I'm like, I know amazing things happen at women's retreat, and I don't have a story. And so sometimes we post a story on Facebook, or we might include it in the annual report that, that the church does that kind of is just celebrating the things that God is doing around the church. Um, so if you're like, I'd be happy for Jennifer to have my story in the file about how God met me at this retreat. If you would write it down, and when we take the offering at the end of the day today, just drop your story also in the offering basket. Um, I'd love to just have those, if you're willing for those to be um, just used. And sometimes I just use a sentence or a phrase or um, just kind of a way to share with others what, how God meets us when we're here. Um, so would love to hear your stories, both in person and in writing, if you feel comfortable with that. So this weekend, we have been, what I want to do this morning is just kind of summarize where we've been and take a look at where we're going because it's Sunday, ladies. It's Sunday at Women's Retreat, and what that means is we're going home. <laughs> and I don't know what you're going to find when you get home. Um, I know what I'm going to find when I get home. Uh, my season has changed. Those of you with little kids... Um, you're going to get home and, and everybody's going to want to climb on you because you've been gone all weekend. Those of you with no kids might be going home or, or no spouse might be going home to an empty house and you've been here with community all weekend and you're like, ah, this is empty and quiet and lonely. And others of you are going home to a house with lots of activity and you're like, ha, ah, this is loud and chaotic. And, and others of you are going home and you're glad to be going home and you're like, I can't wait to see my family. I think what's going to happen when I get home is that I'm going to have one, uh, my daughter, this is my prediction, my daughter is going to want to just kind of touch me for about 10 minutes. And my sons are going to go, yo, hey mom, glad you're back. Maybe the glad you're back, maybe not even that. Um, <laughs> Maybe pause the video game, maybe not even look up. I'm not sure. Um, but my husband will have had things well in hand. I learned a long time ago. I remember the first weekend I went away when we had three kids. And I was like, this is great. I am gone. And when I get home, he is going to appreciate me so much. And I got home and he had the house cleaner than I ever had it. And he'd fed them all weekend. And they were happy. And I was like, oh, for crying out loud, you're better at this than I am. <laughs> So whatever you're going to find when you get home, we're not going to be here. And 
as we go through a weekend like this, we have opportunity because we have repeated times together to really um, delve deeper into our soul. And yet we don't want to send anybody home with this raw, open, gaping wound. And so this morning, what I want to do is turn from our personal belonging to what does it look like to have a community where we can continue these, um, this journey of this healing journey in the area of our belonging. So just to kind of summarize where we've been, um, I want to start with a story. So about five years ago, I was in a season of life that was pretty emotionally rough for me. And quite honestly, I don't remember why it was emotionally rough. I just remember that my stuff was, you know, we kind of have cycles, don't we? Where our stuff kind of cycles up and then it kind of quiets down for a while and then it just cycles up and it quiets down. And I was in a cycle when my stuff was just rearing its head like nobody's business. And there was this healing conference going to happen in Portland in October, about five, maybe six years ago now. And I was really looking forward to the conference. I just, I had this sense that God had something for me there, that he was going to meet me there. And a couple days before the conference, I was having lunch with some friends and we were talking about my emotional upheaval and their lives as well. We were just talking and being friends. And one of them said, she said, Jennifer, I just keep hearing the word rejection. Now, mind you, the whole journey that I've explained to you over this entire weekend had already happened. Okay, so all the things, all the stories I've told you, all of, they had come up in my counselor's office. I had talked about them with others. I had had that moment at retreat where I journaled about all of them and God showed me that I had the wrong goal and I was trying to be God. And I mean, I had done my work with rejection, ladies. And when she at the table said, I just keep hearing the word rejection, I said out loud, if this is about rejection, I am so over it. I am so done with that. Like, I have done my work on this. If there is still something unearthed about rejection, like, I don't even want to know. I, mean, I, I was kind of angry because, like, she kind of listens to God, so I don't doubt that she heard the word, but I'm like, yeah, no. Leave me alone. Eh, no. And uh, I went to the healing conference. I sat down. The speaker got up, and she started talking. And in her first paragraph, she started talking about self-rejection. And I went, <gasps> In all of my journey, I had never considered that what had happened was I had rejected myself. And all of the things that we've been talking about about rejection came down to what was going on in the battle inside me. So what do we do with this? I got a diagram that kind of sums up our sums up our weekend here and kind of talks about what do we do when we realize when our stuff circles to the top and God opens our eyes to what it is, what do we do with that? So this is um, something that a spiritual mentor of mine showed us, a group that I'm in a while back. So we've got a triangle and at the top here we have Father, that's God. We have our identity here, And we have our obedience here. And there is a direction around this triangle. And a lot of times, that's a really thin little line there. A lot of times what we do and what we've been talking about this weekend is we think that with our obedience, we're going to get to the Father. And when we obey enough, then we can approach the Father. Then we can be in relationship with him. And out of that relationship with him, everything's going to work out okay. Because we were obedient, and so we can approach the Father. But the reality is, and the reality that we've been talking about this weekend, that in actuality, the Father, out of who he is, out of his heart for us, out of the victories that Christ has won, speaks to our heart what our identity is. 
He tells us who we are in him. He tells us that we are his beloved daughters, that we were created beautifully with a purpose and a partnership in his kingdom. And it's out of that identity that we want to obey. We want to follow him. We want flowing out of, remember the from favor, not for favor, from the favor of knowing how much the Father loves us, of knowing that we were created by him, of knowing what our identity is in him, then we choose to live the way that it talked about in Colossians 3 and in other lists that are in the Bible. As God instructs us, what was his designated way that we would live? It's not necessarily easy, but it's good. And we're motivated from it because we already know our identity, not because we're trying to earn our identity. Does this make sense? You and I are not earning our identity We are not earning our identity by starting with obedience and earning our identity. You and I are children of God, daughters of the king, who have our identity because he loves us, and out of that, we are in obedience to him. This is the picture. Take it home with you. Remember, sometimes I just, diagrams, pictures, anchor things in my soul a little bit better. This is the summary of everything we've been talking about right here, okay? If there was a verse that summed it all up, it's the one we talked about yesterday morning, Romans 8, 15 to 16. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So when we have this truth and we're confronted with the reality in our own lives of one of the t- when the cycle stirs up and, and, and the emotional stuff is coming to the surface, and for me, five years ago, that word was self-rejection, then we have this truth, and we lean into the Spirit for him to teach us how do we walk with a different truth than what we have walked with up until this point. Because that's what transformation is. Transformation is when God changes Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's a great description of transformation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In the NIV, it says... Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When God renews our minds, when he brings something to mind and changes the way we think, then by his Holy Spirit, he also transforms us. I've had several conversations with some of you over this weekend about how do I get it from here to here, from the head to the heart? And I've heard that described as the longest foot. (laughs) Because we can understand things in our heads that don't make their way to our heart. And friends, you and I can't force that. That journey is a journey that the Holy Spirit empowers. And so we submit ourselves to his truth and his teaching, and we invite him to help that journey happen, even if there are things that are painful that need to happen so that that truth can take root in our heart. And for me, one of the tools that I've received over the last number of years in this whole journey of being really too self-critical and and self-rejection is something that one of my spiritual mentors calls gentle noticing. She says, Jennifer, practice gentle noticing. And what she means is, when something rises up in me that by nature I would either shove back down or judge or try to fix, so a thought that I don't like or a feeling that I don't feel is the right thing to feel at that moment. I had a spiritual mentor tell me one time, because, let's see if I can find this conversation. 
we were talking about how driven I am to do the right thing. And she said, Jennifer, it sounds like you're bumping up into this idea of doing the right thing. And I said, it's not just doing the right thing. It's thinking the right thing to start with. And it's feeling the right thing. And she says, I have news for you, Jennifer. She says, you don't get to control your feelings. Your feelings just are. They're what God gives us to let us know that something's going on inside. And you don't get to decide which ones you have and which ones you don't have. You just feel them. And, and so in this context, this other spiritual mentor, I have some fantastic spiritual mentors in my life, by the way, will talk with me about gentle noticing. So when these things come up that I have a tendency to judge myself about, she says, just notice them. Just even just say to yourself, yep, I see that. And, and just leave it there. Don't judge it. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to silence it or squash it. Just gently notice what's going on inside yourself. And I was chatting with one of you last night about this whole idea we talked about yesterday about Colossians 3.12 and um, to clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility. And what does that look like if we were to actually treat ourselves that way? If when we were, if, if when our self-talk was coming up, we were actually responding to ourselves the way we would respond to a friend with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility. And this is the picture of how to begin the transformational process when what you're dealing with is being overly self-critical and, and even uh, self-rejecting. That's been my journey. But friends, I think you heard me say this was five years ago. The conversation with my spiritual mentor where I said, I want to think the right thing and feel the right thing and not just do the right thing, that was about three months ago. <laughs> so... Um, don't hear me saying, hey, I've got this all figured out. I've been on the journey long enough to have some people wiser than me give me some tools that I want to throw, throw out and pass on to you. Um, but this is a journey that we do together, right? So today what we're talking about is what does this look like then to be a community of belonging? Because there's two aspects really, probably more than that, but two that have been on my mind for the last number of months, aspects of belonging. The first one is what we've been talking about so far this weekend, the personal aspect of belonging. Our hearts believing that we already belong and that from that, from favor, we have the ability to both receive the love of others because remember, if we can't receive God's love, if we don't believe we're worthy of love, we can't feel like we belong in any other community or family or group. So when we believe that we belong, then we can actually receive belonging. And friends, I just think this is a hard word because sometimes when we most feel the need for belonging, we just can't get it. And we wonder, what's wrong with me that I can't find the group of people that would accept me? What's wrong with me? That, and, and this what's wrong with me is perpetuating the problem of, there's actually nothing wrong with you. But until you believe that, it's going to be difficult for any group, no matter how loving, welcoming, or kind they are, to make you feel like that you belong with them. And so there's this sense of, we have to do business with God before we can find what we're looking for, because we have to find it from him. Uh, it has been said by many people over the years that the hole in our heart is a God-shaped hole. We have a God-shaped hole in our heart, and he's the only one can fill it. And when he has filled it, when we have allowed him to fill it, when we have thrown ourselves at our feet and said, I can't fill this, you come and fill me. And like the woman at the well, he says, I will give you living water. Like his invitation at the feast that day, anyone who wants to come, come and I will give you living water that will flow up from within you. And by this, he meant his Holy Spirit. He promises to fill us when we ask. And yet we have to come to him, surrender our will, admit our sin, surrender our way, our control, and then allow him to fill us. And it's, it's that 
we have to come off the porch, which seems so scary, and it seems like it's turning away from what we want, but we're actually toward, turning towards what our heart's desire really is. So this personal aspect of belonging, not only will it give us the ability to receive the love and belonging from others, but it allows us then to be a person who can extend love and belonging to others. Because no matter how much I want to be welcoming and kind and hospitable and have a personality that makes people feel at home with me, if I don't feel at home with me, I can't make you feel at home with me. And so I can't be a person of belonging, nor can I be a part of a community of belonging where I have anything to give away unless I have learned that first I get filled by the Father's love for me, and then out of knowing who I am, I obey him and I follow his word, and when I do that, I become a person who invites other people into his presence and into his belonging. So our personal belonging, and then there's the corporate sense of belonging. What does our community culture need to look like in order for others who join us to feel like this is a place that we could belong? So first of all, we need to be people of belonging who, who have already had our hearts anchored in who we are in Christ, and we have that to offer when people come to join us. And then there's some other things I want to talk about, about what can we do as a group as a women's ministry culture, so that whether you're at retreat or in a small group Bible study or at the gathering or not even doing something with women at Salem Alliance, see, we have a women's ministry as a place to come and receive encouragement and healing and training and empowerment, and we hope that it doesn't just stay here in women's ministries. We hope it doesn't just stay at the retreat or just stay at the gathering or in your little small groups. We hope that this equips and empowers you to be people who take this sense of God's presence and his kindness and his belonging and his love into your workplaces and your families and your extended families and your friends, and that it's, it's spilling out and overflowing because we have learned to practice us together what a community culture of belonging looks like, and we then carry that out to other places where people actually notice a difference. People notice that when they're with me, when, they're, when I'm with you, I feel different. Years ago, I was a school teacher. It was kind of a previous lifetime years ago, and I was doing a parent-teacher conference, and in this particular parent-teacher conference, midway through, the mom is sitting across the table from me in tears telling me her life story. And she says, I don't even know why I'm crying. I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, I can't say this out loud, but it's the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and I, it's not the first time and it's not the last time that when you and I are, enter, are engaging with somebody who, whether they know Christ or not, senses the Holy Spirit in us, senses our kindness, senses our compassion, and it just draws out where they're hurt and where they're needy and where they want, what they want to talk about because here's a person who actually looks like they would accept and receive and want to hear. You know, it's, it's interesting. Jesus actually talked about that. He said, they'll know that you're my followers by the way that you love. And, and actually, when we love the way Jesus loved, it looks so different that we look different than the world and they notice. So how do we cultivate this community, this culture in such a way that when people come here, they want to stay? And friends, we want people who are looking for a place of belonging to want to stay at the things they come to in women's ministries because we want to be a place of healing and comfort and hope and training and encouragement and building up so that eventually... The folks who come to us looking for connection and lonely and not sure how to fill that God-shaped hole learn that when they're among our community and then are able to go out. And so there's this multiplication that happens, not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of others. So how do we build this community? Recently, I'm, I was reading a discipleship book, 
And it's actually where the idea that I've been talking about this weekend about discipleship, including both invitation and challenge, comes from. And the way the author set it up was actually by telling the story of how um, wild horses um, accept a new horse into their herd. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure a movie was made about it, like The Horse Whisperer or something. But I didn't stand the other day when it said, have you snuck snacks into movies? Because I just don't go to movies very often. It's not something Jeff and I do. And, so, and everybody's like, you don't sneak snacks in? It's like, I'm not because I'm like perfect. It's because I just don't go to movies. Anyway, so I don't know about The Horse Whisperer. But here was what the book said. And the book said that in a wild herd, there is a lead mare. And she's in charge of the herd. And so when another horse who's not part of the herd comes, there's kind of this, this interchange or this exchange that decides whether or not this other horse is going to become part of the herd or not. And the interchange is something that is a mix of challenge and invitation. So apparently the mare faces off in a position of high challenge and authority with this other horse. And this other horse will submit to that position of challenge. And then the mare will turn her flank and expose her most vulnerable place and this other horse will, will just approach slowly. And then the mare will turn and express this challenge again. And this horse will submit. And then the mare will turn again with an invitation and an exposure of her vulnerability. And this horse will approach. And this will go on over and over and over again until they touch noses or they, something. They, they connect and this horse joins the herd. So it's this idea of the challenge of will you submit to authority and the invitation of I'm offering you my vulnerability and trusting you with our community, trusting you with these other horses that I am charged to lead. And so the author's point was that true discipleship involves both invitation and challenge. So there's a grid I want to show you. Me and these pens. Okay. So here's the grid. We've got high invitation, opposite of invitation, opposite of low invitation. That's an O. It's not Martian. It's invitation. And then we have high challenge, opposite of low challenge. So when our community, our small group, our family, our relationships are high invitation, low challenge, we have a community that feels very cozy. When our communities are low challenge, low invitation, we have a community and a spiritual development place that feels very boring, right? When it is low invitation, but with high challenge, we have a community that is very stressful. And when we have high invitation and high challenge, we have empowered. Or we might call this discipleship. So when we're thinking about building a community culture of belonging, I think often I end up, by my personality, I end up in cozy. I just love the high invitation. I mean, you guys have heard this. You're free to pass. It's safe if you don't have to share things that God is, that, that you just need to be private for a while. I think all these things are true. I lean towards the invitation. This discipleship group that I'm in, she went around all of us and said, which are you more? And I'm like, invitation, invitation. And then some of them said challenge. And I went, oh, 
that's how come we do this sometimes. Because they lean towards challenge, I lean towards invitation, and I'm like, oh, you're not being very nice. And they're like, yeah, and you're not really speaking truth, you know, because I want everybody to feel cozy and loved and warm fuzzies up here, right? But if all we do is help people feel cozy, we haven't empowered them. And if all we do is help people feel cozy, then they come to retreat and they go home and they come to retreat and they go home and they come to retreat and they go home and they always feel great about retreat, but we're not spilling over our boundaries. And so I've been challenged in the last couple of weeks as a leader to re-examine how am I enabling and, and allowing challenge to be a part of what we're doing. And so one of the beautiful, amazing things that I've been watching and what God has been showing me this weekend is as, as he invited me to invite other voices to come up and share what he was saying, you guys, we heard, we heard more challenge, right? I mean, let's just review some of the things that we heard. We've had this empowered experience all weekend, thinking about the words God's brought to us through all of his women. Get off the porch. That's a challenge. Do not fear. That's both a challenge and an invitation. Release the bricks. Again, challenge and invitation. Accept your belovedness. There's an invitation. Make the sacrificial move on the chessboard. That's a challenge. Come out of the house. That's a challenge. Choose forgiveness. Believe that you belong. You guys, we've been doing this empowered experience together all weekend as we've been led by the Holy Spirit. Not as we've been led by Jennifer. Jennifer wasn't smart enough to figure all that out, but Jennifer was open enough to ask the Holy Spirit how to get his message to you. And he brought us a message that fits squarely in this discipleship quadrant. So how do we do that on an ongoing level? Now, let's just talk about this for a little bit. Boring. I suspect that this is part of the reason that, um, that young people leave the church. Young people want to have a purpose and a passion and a partnership and something to belong to. And if there's no challenge, if it's just all nice, but not really any invitation either, they'll go find somewhere else where there's challenge and invitation. And this stressful... I have a feeling that's why some of us are dealing with what we're dealing with this weekend. This, that, that, that Christianity has always been challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge. Be obedient. Do the right thing. Sacrifice. Um, pick up your cross. Um, don't be surprised if the whole world hates you. Challenge after challenge after challenge. All truth. All scriptural truth. But without the, 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 the back and forth with the challenge and the invitation, we just end up in this stressful, oh my goodness, how will I ever do all these challenges? And then our personality receives these things differently. So I'm one that when I receive a challenge, I was talking with somebody yesterday who said, if there was an A to be had in class, by golly, I was going to get the A. And that was kind of me. It's like, I'm going to do whatever you tell me I'm supposed to do. I, I absorb challenge and think that every challenge is mine to take and mine to conquer and mine to perfect. And I tend to personally not give myself much compassion or invitation because I'm so busy trying to meet all the challenges that I've placed on myself or that I've, that I've sensed from others over the years. And so this learning, this personal journey is also reflected here as we recognize um, what have we received in our lifetime and where do we kind of function and how would God call us towards this quadrant, towards this place where we have high invitation and high challenge to others and for ourselves. So I want to talk today from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. We're going to read this together. We're going to look at what we see here and see what it says about having community together as Christ followers. So starting in Ephesians 4, verse 1. 
don't plan to talk this long, but I think I need to know. Um, is brunch at 11 or 11.30? 11.30, okay. Uh, everybody, I'm not talking that long, okay? Just let's get that out there, but I just want to know where we were at. Therefore I, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So we just set the stage that what we're talking about, this is what Paul's about to talk about. How do we live a life worthy of the calling? For we have been called by God. We are God's daughters. As we start this passage, we recognize that it starts right up here. You have been called by God. That is not what's in question here. None of what we're about to read is so that you can earn your way to God. All of what we're about to read is flowing out of the fact that you have been called by God. You have been chosen by God. So how do you live a life worthy of the calling that you have received? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. It sounds a lot like the Colossians list, doesn't it? Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. And if we break down this first four verses, we find that there's invitation and challenge. There's an invitation to our calling. There is one body and one spirit, and you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. That's invitation. We're called to be humble and gentle and patient. That's challenge. We're called to make every effort to keep ourselves united in the spirit. That's challenge. Friends, that means being united in the spirit with people you disagree with. That means being united in the spirit, and we promise to keep this a political free weekend, but I need to say this before we go home. That means being united in the spirit with somebody who's going to vote different than you're going to vote. That means looking past the things. Jesus, here's the thing. Jesus knew all the different personalities, all the different passions, all the different God languages, all the different elements that would be a part of people who called himself his followers. And yet he said, through Paul, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What does that look like? See, we are very good at keeping unity with people who agree with us. We are very good at keeping unity with people who think like us. We're very good at keeping unity with people who feel the same types of feelings as us, but we are not as good at keeping unity with people who rub us the wrong way, with people who challenge us or people who offend us. Friends, part of that is because there's so many reasons for that, but one of them I want to just talk about today is that in the body of Christ, God has wired all of us so differently so that all of his purposes can be accomplished. So for example, there's the activist, the person who is just driven by social justice by being on the edge of good and evil and fighting for right, because that is God's heart. You guys, that is absolutely God's heart. And then you have the person who is just driven by knowing God's word, by being a student of God's word and studying it and rightly dividing the word of truth and understanding what he is saying to us through his word. And that is good and that is right. Here's the danger. The activist can say, you're so busy studying that you're never engaged in the world. And the person studying can say, you don't really know the word of God. I don't hear you talking about the Bible and all of your calls to serve the poor. You're not really talking about the Bible. And these people go like this, and they divide over their differences rather than unifying over the fact that they are both led by the same God 
who by the same spirit gave them both a passion and a purpose and a giftedness to build his entire kingdom and that we need all we need the worshipers, we need the contemplatives, we need the, the, the beauty, the people who create beauty for us with our senses. We need, we need all the pieces of how God wired us, and we are dividing over our differences rather than staying unified over the things that are the same, which is the fact that one spirit has given us these gifts. There's a challenge in this for us to be humble and gentle and patient and compassionate and forgiving with people who think different than we do to give them the benefit of the doubt and to hear their interests before we judge their decisions. What's motivating their heart? Understand people. Um, Danny Silk wrote a book called um, Keep Your Love On. Uh, great book, by the way. And in it, he talks about the goal of communication is actually understanding, not changing the other person's opinion. So when we're in conflict and we're communicating, the goal isn't changing the other person's opinion. The goal isn't winning. The goal is understanding. I come into this conversation not so that you will be swayed to my way of thinking, but so that I can gain a better understanding of your way of thinking. And hopefully you'll want to gain a better understanding of my way of thinking. But friends, we have to radically change the way that we approach some of these situations if we're going to do this making every effort to keep ourselves united in the Spirit. I'm going to jump down uh, to verse 7. Uh, no, verse 5. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. If we are followers of Christ with his Holy Spirit living in us, no matter how his Holy Spirit leads us, if we are Bible-based Christ followers, our lives might look very different with different aspects of God's character on display in our lives and on display in our calling and our passions. But we are one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. He's over all and in all and living through all. And he is the thing that gives us that unity. He is the thing that will build in our community a culture of belonging. Not because you and I are perfect, but because he is present among us. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So the author here draws us into the oneness of everything and then back out to our uniqueness and the way that God has created us um, in different ways. So starting in verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Can I just pause and say there are several passages with gift lists and none of them have all of them or all the same of them listed in the same spot. So this is a sampling of of this conversation, not the entire conversation about the gifts that Christ gives to his church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So God gives each of us a gift within his power to build up the body, to do his work, to build up the church. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So here's an here's a invitation challenge mixed together, this list of gifts. It's an invitation to enter into how God has created you, and it's a challenge to enter into how God has created you. Here's an invitation that we will be mature in the Lord, that we will measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. 
Have you ever heard any lies so clever they sound like the truth? You don't know who to believe. You don't know what to listen to. As we, together in our community, follow the giftedness and calling that God gives us, we build up the body of Christ to the extent that everybody's becoming more mature. Together we're becoming more mature. Have you ever been a part of one of those teams that they're like, it's not about who wins, it's about who gets their whole team across the line. So I'm thinking of like high ropes courses or obstacle courses or the things where the goal isn't for one person to come in fastest, the goal is for everybody to make it across the line. And friends, that's where we're at in the body of Christ. The goal isn't for one person to rise up as the most important person in our body, of, in our faith circle. The goal isn't for one person to just, just by leaps and bounds pass everybody and win the race. The goal is that the entire body is lifted up, that together we are being made mature as we share our true selves with each other in the way that God created us. So we're being built up together and our community is growing together. And when somebody comes and joins our community, we have the ability to be those people of belonging to them because we've been becoming mature together. We've been sharing both our vulnerable side with each other and we've been sharing challenge with each other, which is what we get into in verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. There's so much wrapped up in that one sentence that actually is the challenge that I need. Because remember I said, I tend to be here up in the cozy circle. Boy, when it's time to speak a hard truth, that's not always easy for me. Sometimes it's easier for me in this setting because it feels a little less personal. I'm not sitting down one-on-one with coffee with any of you. But to sit down one-on-one with somebody and say, I noticed this in your life, and I think God might be inviting you to something higher. To speak the truth in love with that compassion in place where we've considered that their interest. With that listening conversation that's happened where we've sought to understand them. And then if it's somebody that we love and we've earned the right to speak into their life, if we are still hearing sin or, or, or poor theology or I've got a friend who when she speaks the truth in love to me, what she says is, I'm going to punch you in the face. And here's why. Because she has learned how hard I am on myself. And what she'll say to me is, don't you be mean to my friend. Because I'm talking bad to myself. So when I'll, have a, when I'll debrief something with her and she hears even a smidgen of me being hard on me, she'll say, do I need to punch you in the face? And she's speaking the truth in love to me because we understand our language. I, I won't punch any of you in the face. I, I promise not to do that. I might threaten it if I think you're not being kind to yourself. Um, but we speak the truth based on the relationship that we have and, friends, not based on whether or not their response has anything to do with our value. Sometimes when we speak the truth to somebody, we are waiting for their response to know if our word was true. We're waiting for their response to know if it was okay for us to say what we said. We're waiting for their response to know if we have value because were we able to convince them to stop sinning or to see truth or to whatever? Friends, we speak the truth in love and we release it to the Holy Spirit. He is the judge. He is the convictor. He is the transformer. He is the one who makes changes. It is only ours to obey. It is not ours to transform others. And so part of speaking the truth in love is recognizing where my yard stops and your yard starts. I don't have responsibility inside your yard, but I have responsibility in my yard to be honest to the truth that God is revealing to me. And if you and I are in relationship and you have given me permission and I have earned the right to speak into your life by being present for you and available for you in a safe place for you, then I need to speak the truth in love, even if it's a hard truth to hear. Without judging, without condemning, 
but allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. Not an easy thing to do, but if we're going to have a community of belonging, we will only be cozy if we can't speak the truth in love. How do we move from cozy to empowered? Well, we add some challenge. And friends, sometimes in order to add challenge, relationships, communities, small groups, leadership teams, work situations are going to feel more stressful before they feel empowered because we're not used to that level of challenge. And to move from cozy to empowered isn't just this easy straight across, oh, let's add more challenge, because folks who aren't used to having that challenge are going to feel stressed by the increase in challenge, and so it could feel like it's descending worse before it gets better. So we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And that's what we're talking about, you guys. What is a community of belonging? It's a community where as far as our sphere of influence reaches, the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And so together, when an individual has their emotional stuff circle up to the top, we're a safe place to not be okay. And together, when our emotional stuff circles down where it's not quite so high and we're actually experiencing some victory and some transformation and we're, we're, not being, we're not being driven by the same lies or the same fears that we've been driven by before, we celebrate together. We're a community where we rejoice together. See, part of the things that my close friends do for me is they reflect when they notice change in my life. It was an amazing experience for me. Back in May, I had a horrendous experience. I won't even go into it. But I had a really difficult experience, and I came home, and I was just, and, I was, and my brain was just swirling around. And because it had had kind of a, a bad turn, I was wrestling with, did I do the wrong thing? Am I wrong? Am I bad because of how this situation turned out? And so I processed that with my husband, and the next day, my closest friends came out, and, and the three of us sat, and we talked, and we, we processed. And then the next week, I processed it with one of my spiritual mentors, and um. A few days later, a spiritual, a spiritual mentor of mine who lives uh, far away happened to be in town, and so she and I were chatting. And as we went through these conversations, these women who've known me a long time began reflecting something back to me. My friends sat on the couch with me, and they listened to the whole thing, and I'm just like, this is so awful. And they said, Jennifer, you're being more kind to yourself. This conversation would have sounded different a year ago. Because even as you're expressing what happened and what was hard, you're not beating yourself up. Did you hear that? And I'm like, no, I didn't hear that. I feel miserable. And they're like, no, actually, you're doing amazing. We're so sorry about how that felt, but you are so amazing. Can you believe where God has brought you? And I'm like, how do we get from there to here? And then I sat down with my spiritual mentor, and she said, Jennifer, that sounds like a divine appointment. And divine appointments are not always easy. I'm so proud of you. And I was like, wait a second. I had this experience that I thought maybe I just messed up royally. And this woman who I respect is hearing me talk about the experience and saying, not only did I not do the wrong thing, but that maybe I was a divine appointment, even for the women who were upset with me. And then I had this conversation with my other more radical friend. And she says, prophets are never loved in their own country. You just have to get used to people being upset with you when you speak the truth. <laughs> And she sent me, 
she sent me a, a copy of a devotional she was reading later, and it was about how Jesus was like a world shaker because nobody was happy with the things he was saying. And she was like, way to go, you world shaker. And I was like, wow. <laughs> By myself, in my own head, I am not a safe place for myself. And I do this with my thoughts. And as they spiral and circle and circle, they're going downward. But in my community, the culture that God has brought around me by his grace and his mercy, there were friends who were reflecting back to me what they saw of God at work in my life. And what felt to me at one point like one of the worst things that had ever happened became this empowering, wow, Jennifer, God is moving in you not only in the emotional places of your heart that need healing, but in the way that you are being bold to bring challenge to people who need challenge. So when we do this together, when we reflect back to each other where we see God at work, we are a part of the healing process for each other. We are a part of the empowerment. We are a part of God's kingdom moving forward. We are a part of the whole body healthy and growing and full of love. This is the hope that I want us to leave with. Not that we've dredged up things that are hard. Friends, if we just ignore the things in our past that have wounded us, we will continue to walk in unhealthy ways. But if we stay focused on the things in our past that have wounded us and we just keep coming back, we're going to implode. We're going to explode on the inside because we just keep beating. And, and there's this tension and this balance and this mystery of knowing when is it time to sit with this is pain and I need God to heal it. And so I need to be aware of it, present with it, and allow it to come to the surface. And when is it time to say... You know what? God is doing his work in that. I am not going to wallow there. I'm going to keep moving forward in the submission that he has shown me, and I'm going to trust that he will either bring it back up to the surface or that he is going to heal it, and I'm going to find that three years down the line, I'm sitting with somebody, and they're going to say, you know, you're not emotionally bound up with cooking anymore. Had you noticed that? And you're like, interesting. Another visual that I have for this is... Um, I was sitting with a counselor one time and we were talking about this healing journey. And she said, what happens in our brains is that we get stuck in a rut. And in this rut, we loop here and we just don't move. We loop like this. And when we begin the healing journey with God and we have some tools for healing and we pray and we have healing prayer time, what happens is the loop goes this way and then it goes this way and then it goes here. And what happens is you and I have been stuck here so when it goes up, we're like, yes, God is moving, and it loops here, and we go, what happened? I'm in the same place, but we're not in the same place. Did you notice it moved a little bit? And then it loops over here, and we're like, wow, God has done it. It's over. And then we're here, and we're like, how ah, will I ever be over this? And it loops, and, and all of a sudden, it loops out, and, and we actually didn't even notice. And we get down here, and we go, we look back, and we go, oh, I'm not stuck in the same loop anymore because God has done his work. And sometimes what gets us out of this is healing prayer, like what some of us did last night. Sometimes what moves that original loop is counseling or a life path group or a friend who you can talk with honestly. But if we just stay in our own heads, in our own place, thinking the same way we've always thought, we're going to keep doing the same things we've always done. And so it's in community that people can reflect back to us, hey, have you thought about going to counseling? <laughs> Because a friend has seen us do this, and a friend knows, I can't talk them out of that loop. I don't, I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability. I don't have, I don't have the tools. But I can see that they need something, and could I affirm to them that it's okay to look for help, to get out of that, that looping and into the place where it can start to move and heal and shift and be transformed. 
This is our hope. This is our vision. We don't go home with no hope. We go home with the hope of glory. We go home with the hope of Jesus at work in us. We go home with the hope that he who started the work here, who brought things up here, is faithful and he will complete those things in you. He is the author and the perfecter. You and I get to observe him at work and we get to participate when he invites us to. Somebody pointed out to me yesterday after the quiet time that, um, that in that passage, the Isaiah passage that maybe some of you spent some time with yesterday, that if you keep reading further down in the passage, there's actually some amazing words of hope. So as that passage starts talking about, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you, I've called your name, you're mine, it goes on to talk about some of the judgments that God brought to the people because of their disobedience. And when we get to verse 18, it says this, but forget all that. I love that, friends. In some ways, and I realize this can sound like me talking out of two sides of my mouth after what we've just done all weekend, but in some ways there's such freedom of looking at the past and saying, you have permission to forget all that, right? When it comes up, when God brings it to mind, then yeah, deal with it. Do your work. Allow him to heal. But don't go digging, don't go digging for problems. Don't go digging in your past for what's, what's the issue. When God brings it up, let him deal with it. Submit to him. Surrender. But if he's not bringing it up, we sit with Isaiah and we say, forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I will give marrow to your dry bones. The wild animal in the fields will thank me, the jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself, and they will someday honor me before the whole world. Friends, it's my hope, it's been our prayer that this weekend, God has made rivers in a dry wasteland for you, and that you, his chosen people, have been refreshed. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this weekend. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for meeting each of us in some way. Even though we are so unique and you meet us each differently, I believe you have met us. Even as we, um, even as we finish and wrap up today, I just ask that you would be present with us as we share with each other what you've been doing. In your name, amen.